the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Excited. Uh, holiday shortened weekend has things kind of buzzy, so to speak. Um, saw two very different reports today. Michael Kors showing a, a big drop in sales, whereas Tiffany showed kind of a drop, but due to currency, not so much. But both high-end retailers. Any thoughts on why high-end luxury took two separate directions? No, actually, I would have expected high-end to be really one of the the better ends or, or better areas in, in consumption. I mean, if we've looked at what we've seen in overall retail sales versus income growth over the last you know six to nine months, it's been a, a bet of uh, consumers adding savings rather than spending. One possible reason for that is if the income growth is coming from, you know, the the high earners, so to speak, they may not have anything left to buy. So the savings isn't necessarily because people want more savings, but because the people that have the income, you know, don't have much more that they could purchase with the extra uh, income growth. So if you look at it, if that's the case, then high-end sales will probably do the best because the added bonus of income is coming to people that could afford the higher-end goods. Okay. So retail kind of has that split, then, of the haves and the have-nots. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of the – there is no perfect explanation right now of why the savings rate is increasing. Uh, If you looked at it over the last six months, you've had, you know, the savings rate increase from about four to five. Uh, percent, and a lot of this is coming during a time when uh, the cost of debt is extremely low. The amount of debt to assets, the amount of debt to income has drastically declined. So consumers should be able to take on more debt at their current rate, but instead of taking on more debt, they're doing quite the opposite. They're either paying down debt with a higher savings rate, or they're just taking on more savings. And one of the possibilities is that uh, you know, it's not the fact that consumers are paying things down or whatnot. It's just that extra income is not going to the people that have debt. You know, it's going to people that don't need debt. So you know, those type of buyers don't have much more that they could purchase. So the income inequality problem is resulting in a potential for a break in consumption growth. Okay, now, talking about the high-end consumer and the low-end consumer, 
a little bit of that's going on with a debate of who spends and who doesn't. A little bit, there's kind of a debate now in corporate buybacks and dividends that that money should be going into factories and research and development, uh, improving the sales force. Do you have any opinion on, do you prefer buybacks and dividends from a corporate standpoint, or do you want them to spend and create more jobs? Uh, I want the money to flow through the system. You know, if it goes as buybacks and the buybacks end up enriching a few uh, people as opposed to, you know, the aggregate, that doesn't help. Now, if the buybacks go to, you know, entrepreneurs, let's say, that use that money to invest in other projects or they use the money to spend or they use the money on something where the money flows back, then it's fine. What I don't want for economic purposes is that buybacks go into extra dividends, which then are just saved because the people that own those don't have anything else to buy. Now, at the same time, businesses don't need to spend money on uh, new factories or increase their workforce or train their workforce if they don't believe that demand is going to be there. You know, it's a double-edged sword. So why would a business take on the added debt of building uh, more capacity if they can't use that capacity for a profitable venture? Now, there's no reason for it. So you, know, you got to somehow entice demand. Now, well, you know, one way to do that would be you know, government spending, that's probably the option that's not going to happen uh, mo most likely, but it's probably the option that's most needed at this point if you really wanted to spark a big uh, change or big shift in, in demand growth. Interesting. Um, let's talk about the interest rate environment. Fed's Jeffrey Lacker said he's still undecided on a June rate rise, which... I'm only going to assume you think there's 0% chance of that, correct? Yeah. I, I mean, th there's no reason for it, and I don't think that the market is going to – sorry, the Fed is going to surprise the market by raising rates, you know, without giving a fair warning that, you know, we've, we're meeting our targets. Uh, the way the Fed has gone about everything is to be as transparent as possible. So I think the fact that, you know, Janet Yellen has been more on the, on the fence of raising rates this, this time, this meeting. You know, I think it's more likely to happen uh, in a September meeting. I don't think the data is pushing for a rate hike at any point in time, but I think the Fed is, is moving in that direction. When do you think the Fed does raise? I think the consensus is September at this point in time. Well, the consensus for econ in economics, so the, uh, basically, if you, if you take a survey of economists, it, it's pretty much September, and I think that's what you know, they're, they're moving towards. The Fed Fund's futures numbers are December. Um, I think that that's probably a better time. I think they're more on, on top of what's going on. Um, yet, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if over the next few months, if the data materially improves that the Fed futures go more in line with what the economists are thinking. You know, as I said before, I, I look at the inflation situation and I see, you know, core inflation of PCE inflation is, you know, 1.3%, I think, year over year, which is, you know, 0.7 percentage points below target. I look at the unemployment rate, even though the, uh, the official unemployment rate is, you know, about five and a half percent. I think the um, a more realistic view of the unemployment rate is a little over seven percent. 
if you take those factors, there's no reason why at all the Fed should be thinking about raising rates anytime soon. But, you know, there is this notion that, you know, the Fed wants to get off the zero bound in case it needs to cut rates at a few. And I think that's a terrible argument for raising rates. The, the idea that, you know, we're going to prepare ourselves for the next recession, even though we haven't fully recovered from the current recession or the, or the previous recession, is not the best way of doing things. But this Fed is seemingly moving in that direction, even if it doesn't move in that direction as quick as some people are anticipating. And they're definitely moving for a rate hike before the data clearly suggests that it needs to be done. And, uh, you know, my guess is that uh, it's going to be a December hike, you know, if not later. Okay. Now, I think, and you can correct me if I got this wrong, if I have this wrong, um, I think the IMF is preparing to accept China in later this year. Is there ramifications of that into the world economies? No, I mean, China's been a large part of the global economy for quite some time. You know, the fact that it becomes, you know, a, a bigger member of, you know, the non-governmental organizations that are around them, you know, more or less, I don't think is that big of a deal. I think what was interesting was yesterday that the um, IMF stated that the yuan is now um, in value with the dollar, meaning that they don't believe that the uh, that China is manipulating its currency anymore. And it was kind of interesting because the, uh, the Economist magazine's uh, Big Mac index showed the same thing in January. So uh, I, I think that we're coming into a point where the economy of China is uh, reasonable for what its, what its currency rate is. I think that uh, that means that, you know, it, it's, becoming more of a true player on the global economy, but it's already a massive part of the global economy. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to change too much. I speak with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to highlight? Well, I think it's interesting. We, the Briefing.com has its own surprise index, and it's based off of the um, Chicago Fed's national activity indicators. And according to our surprise index, there's been a, a big surge in positive surprises over the past few weeks. And, you know, it's gotten some traders over here excited because it's showing that, uh, you know, the market is running up. It's showing that uh, the economy is possibly doing better than, than what people expected. But, you know, we just want to take caution. And, and yes, the surprises are positive, but that doesn't mean the, the surprises are good. I mean, what, what we're seeing is that the the economic numbers as a whole are still pretty weak. It's just that they're better uh, than they were in the past or better than what the, the uh, economists in our, in our survey have believed. So economic growth remains you know, lackluster, but uh, we're seeing some positive turnarounds in terms of what the, against the perceived thoughts of, of where the economy is. Thanks very much. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen with Briefing.com. He is the chief economist with Briefing.com. I highly recommend checking out the website. <clears throat> His content is top-notch, um, but again, we get content on the opening bell. We get, you know, there's special reports there. There's industry insight. There's momentum stocks. There's technicals. There's swing traders. Um, there's too much content. Updates on new IPOs coming out. 
taking a look at some of the market internals. Um, I really like the economist, Dr. Jeff Rosen. Um, I think he adds an enormous amount to the show. And, uh, you can find out more about him at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 